Hey, Christ community, I am so thankful to be with you today and to be a part of your spiritual journey. Uh, last week, we started a three-week teaching series that really has been stirring in my heart for the past few months. It's rooted in this idea of experiencing God. I mean, how do, how do we experience God in real and tangible ways, in, in a way that actually transforms us, in a way that impacts our fears and impacts us in our relational struggles and our addictions and in, really in our everyday lives? I mean, he, he longs to meet us in these places and bring transformation, and yet sometimes we struggle to experience that. And so how can we grow in our experience of, in God and his experiencing his transformative power in our lives. Well, that's really what this three-week series is all about. In this series, we're exploring a specific tool God has given us that can revolutionize our spiritual lives, that can help us experience God in deeper ways. And what's fascinating is that this tool or this, this practice is something that believers in Jesus have been utilizing for centuries but it isn't often talked about in churches today. But we're changing that, right? We're changing that. So we're talking about this because of how transformative it can be. It has been a huge blessing in my own relationship with Jesus. So I'm excited about the opportunity to explore this together. Now, let me just acknowledge that um, for some of you, this tool is something that you have already been intuitively using in your spiritual life. You just didn't have language for it, um, which is awesome. For others of you, this is going to be completely new, um, which is awesome. Maybe you watched last week and, and you tried a little bit. It, it's completely new to you. And I just want to say, don't be discouraged if it feels weird or uncomfortable at first. That's normal with anything new like this. And so remember, we're, we're, just, we're learning together. Um, so, okay, so last week we introduced this tool and the biblical foundation for it. So if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, but let me take just a couple of minutes and, and summarize what we've kind of learned to this point. So the biblical tool that we're exploring is what I refer to as biblical imaging or biblical envisioning. Biblical imaging is using our God-given capacity to image things in our minds in order to experience the truths of Scripture more fully. We, we all have this capacity in our, in our mind to image or picture things. We have this capacity to picture things in our minds, and we use this capacity all the time. If you ask me about my wife, Raylene, I will immediately see a picture of her in my mind, not a paragraph of words. I, I'm able to put in my mind an image of her, and that picture impacts me emotionally. It warms my heart. Our God-given ability to image things in our minds actually makes these things more real, more concrete, not less. And that has huge spiritual um, ramifications. So what, what if we intentionally leverage this capacity in order for biblical truths to become more concrete, more real in our, in our hearts and lives? And the Bible actually encourages us to do this very thing. Hebrews 12, 2, um, we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus. Colossians 3, Paul says, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1 talks about, he, Paul says, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Over and over again, the Bible encourages us to utilize this capacity to image things in our minds 
in order to be more deeply impacted by them. So last week, we began exploring a key passage in this regard that's found in Psalm 27. And so I want to go back to that passage today, and we're going to explore this even further. David begins this psalm, Psalm 27, by talking about how if an army goes against him or war breaks out against him, he will not be afraid. So where does that kind of confidence come from? Well, we see exactly where in in verse 4. Look at this. David writes, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David's confidence in the midst of, of fear comes from him experiencing the presence of God in a real way. And his ability to experience the presence of God is rooted in a specific thing that he describes in this passage. Look again, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. As we talked about last week, this word gaze is a specific Hebrew word. It is not, that's not talking about physical sight. It's talking about spiritual sight. It's talking about this God-given capacity to put images or pictures in our minds. What David is doing in this passage is he is placing in his mind an image of God. And that image makes the presence of God more real to him. He is intentionally engaging this ability to see in his mind for the purpose of experiencing God in a more real way. Now, this raises a, a really important question. How do we know what God looks like, right? I mean, we could, we could just envision God in whatever image we want. Uh, as I talked uh, about in more detail last week, this is the main problem, one of the main problems with the New Age movement. The, the New Age movement uses a form of visualization, um, but they do that in order to create their own image of God. So, you know, God is everything and we are God and all of that stuff. But that's not what we're talking about in this series. We are talking about biblical imaging, taking truths that are revealed in the Bible and envisioning them in our minds, which makes them come alive in our hearts. Now, this idea of imaging God sometimes raises a concern. I mean, aren't we, aren't we violating the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment? which tells us not to make for ourselves an image of God in the form of anything. What God is concerned about in the first commandment, if you read the context, we, we see this. What he's concerned about is idolatry. He's concerned about his people creating idols that they bow down to and they worship instead of him. But that's not what David is doing here. David is not worshiping a false image or, or, or creating an idol of God. He is, he is uh, imaging, he's gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. He is using his mind's capacity to envision in order to enjoy who God is based upon how God himself has revealed, it, has revealed himself. Okay, so that, that's the key. We are not creating idols. We are using scripture to help us envision what God is like. So why is this important? Here's why. How we perceive God has a huge impact upon our spiritual lives. Now that word perceive is critically important 
This is not about whether or not we can quote a Bible verse on what God is like or whether or not we can give the right answer to a question about what God is like. Oh, we list, oh, he's this and this and this. It's not about giving the right answer. This is what we're talking about here is how we perceive God is like, how we perceive what God is like in our heart. How do we envision him? For instance, a lot, of, a lot of Christians can recite from memory John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. We can recite that from memory. But for, those, for many of those same Christians, in their heart of hearts, they don't really feel that God loves them. They don't, they don't feel accepted by God. See, that, that's not an information problem. They have the right information. That's not an information problem. But that, that information is not transforming us. I think this is one of the reasons that Christianity in America is on the decline. It's because so many Christians believe this idea that information alone will transform us. More podcasts, more sermons, more Bible knowledge will result in transformation. So we just keep listening, all these things. And nothing's wrong with that. But the problem is it doesn't, that information alone, amassing information alone doesn't transform us. Simply knowing a Bible verse doesn't transform us. What we need is for the truth of that Bible verse to become real in our hearts. And this is especially true as it relates to our image of God, how we perceive him. And so I want to I just take a moment. We're going to do just a little exercise to explore this further. So I want you to close your eyes. This is only going to take a second. Just close your eyes. And I want you to put in your mind an image or picture of God. What's the first image or picture that comes to your mind? Just put in your mind an image or picture of God. Okay, so what image came to your mind? Perhaps you saw God uh, as a distant kind of brilliant light, or maybe you envisioned him enthroned, you know, just uh, sitting on this glorious throne. Or maybe you saw him as a father, but he was standing at a distance from you. Or maybe you didn't see him anywhere. You, you, you couldn't see him anywhere. <clears throat> Whatever you instinctively envisioned is actually really helpful information because it can help reveal how you perceive God. Again, this isn't about our, our ability to give the right answer regarding what God is like. We're quoting a Bible verse about what God is like. This is about what we really feel God is like, how in our inner being we perceive him. And again, this has huge implications. It has a huge impact on our spiritual lives, on our relationship with God. I mean, if I perceive God as distant from me or always disappointed in me, Think of the impact that has on my desire to pray or to worship him. How eager am I going to be to want to spend time with this God who feels emotionally distant or, or disappointed in me? How eager am I going to be to trust him or to tell other people about a relationship with God? How passionate will I be about him? Our perception of God has a huge impact on our relationship with God, on our, on our experience of it, on our, our entire spiritual lives. I heard a, a college, Christian college professor and, and, and pastor recently tell a story about a, a student who came up after a theology class one day, and she said to him, hey, you know, 
uh, when, when you talk about Jesus, you, you, I mean, you seem to get really excited and, and animated. And she said, I'm just, I'm just curious, is that sort of your shtick? You know, in other words, is this kind of a performance you're doing so that we, your students, will get excited about the material? <clears throat> I mean, she was asking this because even though she was a Christian and believed in Jesus and the Bible and all that, she didn't have any passion for God. You know, her relationship with God was pretty flatlined. And so she just kind of assumed that's what everyone's relationship with God is like. And so he must be faking it if, this, if he's that excited about it. And, and so he, he, was, he was like, no, 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 th this is real. This is real. I, I'm so in love with Jesus and who he is in my life. I, I just can't help but get excited about it. So then he asked her, hey, could you talk with me? I want to just ask you, share with me. He asked her, the student, share with me your picture of God. What is your picture of God? And so she started giving all the right theological answers. Oh, God is omniscient and he's omnipresent and he's, you know, uh, holy and he's all powerful and all that. All of those things were correct answers because she'd been paying attention in, in the class. But, but, he, but he said to her, look, I'm not interested in the information you know about God. I'm wanting to know, what do you perceive God to be like in your heart? How does he feel towards you? So they did kind of, the, they explored this. They did the form of the exercise we did a moment ago. They began to explore this and, and, and she saw, what she saw in her mind was herself standing on the edge of this chasm and Jesus, was on the other side, this huge chasm. Jesus was on the other side of this chasm, very, very far away. And he was actually looking away from her. He was looking the other direction. That was her image of God. No wonder she felt distant, unloved, uninteresting. No wonder she had no real passion for Jesus. No wonder she was looking to her appearance, her appearance to bring her life. I mean, if this was how she perceived God, her image of God was real to her, but it wasn't biblically accurate. This, again, this wasn't an information issue. She knew the right answers. This was an imaging issue, how she perceived God in her heart. Again, the question is, what is your image of God? And how is that impacting your relationship with him? The reality, is that our, that, that the reality is that our image of God, how we perceive him in our heart of hearts, is often shaped by various things rather than scripture. The biggest influence on our perception of God is our family of origin, how we experienced our parents growing up. So if in our home growing up, we felt like we could never measure up to our parents' expectations, we will often, in our adulthood then, we'll often feel that way about God, that we're, we can never be good enough. If we felt our parents or we experienced our parents never really celebrating us when we were a child, never being delighted in by them, we will often feel that God doesn't really delight in us. If our parents were too busy or one of our parents is too busy or emotionally distant from us, we will often feel that God is emotionally distant from us. So our, our family of origin has a huge impact on our perception of God. Whether we're conscious of this or not, it has a huge impact. Another influence on our perception of God is our church experience. 
maybe growing up or whatever, a church experience. If we were a part of a kind of a legalistic, rules-oriented, performance-oriented church, that often results in a perception of God where he is always disappointed in us. And he's got a scowl on his face. He's always mad at us. We can never measure up. So there are various things that can influence our image of God. But what I want us to do now, I want us to look again at Psalm 27, and I want us to notice how David describes how he envisions God, how he images God in his mind. Look, look again at verse 4. He says, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. David describes God as being beautiful. Now, when we hear the word beautiful, we tend to hear it in a feminine way. You know, usually we don't you know, tell a guy he's beautiful, right? Uh, but the Hebrew word used here, it's not, a, it, it's not a reference to feminine beauty. That's a different word. The word used here is a word that means splendor. It's describing the attributes of someone that we would delight in. So it's like when, when you see Patrick Mahomes make an amazing throw, when it looks like he's going to be sacked and then he makes his 40-yard throw and you're like, that was amazing. Even if you're not rooting for the Chiefs, this was just, you realize this was a thing of beauty. Or, or when you see someone performing in a play or, or playing an instrument and you just sit back and think, that was incredible how they made that violin sound. It, it, it's this, it's, it's this, this word is describing this posture of, of, of admiration, of delight, of awe, just drinking in the wonder of, of this person's gift or their ability. I mean, and we do this all the time at an earthly level, but what David was doing here, he was doing this on a spiritual level. David was intentionally placing in his mind an image of the splendor of God of how amazing, how wonderful, how glorious God is. And that image of God gave David a confidence in the midst of his fears. Seeing in his mind an accurate picture of who God is transformed David's experience of life. And it can do the same with us. Again, our image of God has a huge impact upon our spiritual lives, upon our emotional well-being, even on our struggle with sin. I mean, listen, if, if, if I don't see God as being beautiful and full of splendor, if I don't see him as being beautiful, if my image of him is that he is, he is disappointed in me, I'm going to try to find acceptance in life in all sorts of other things, pornography or a bottle or money or my appearance. So our image of God, again, has a huge impact. We want to make sure our image of God is biblically accurate, right? Again, it's not about having the right information. It's how we, in our heart of hearts, image him, how we perceive him. So, so how do we grow in our ability to see God as beautiful, to see him as the amazing, loving God that he is? Again, it's by learning to practice biblical imaging, by placing in our hearts an accurate picture of who God is and how he feels about us. And here's what I want us to realize. This is a journey, friends. This is a journey for some of us, for some of you. You, you have carried for decades an inaccurate picture of what God is like. And so if that's you, it will take time it will take time for this accurate image of God to become more real to us than the inaccurate picture that we've had. Now, we, one thing we see in Psalm 27, it's really helpful, is to realize David was very much on a journey. 
in this whole process. So verse four, we've already looked at this. He talks about gazing on the Lord's beauty. But now I want us to jump down. Look at what he says in verse nine in the same chapter, the same um, Psalm. He says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my savior. Though my mother, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Man, I, I love this. I love this because it shows the reality and the struggle of gazing, the journey of learning to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I mean, David acknowledges, yeah, I'm gazing on the beauty but then a few verses later, he's saying, don't forsake me. Don't turn your face away. He, he is processing this. He's growing in this. See, biblical imaging involves honestly acknowledging and processing our past pain and doubts. David is saying, though my father and mother reject me, he had pain from his past. So biblical imaging, we're honestly acknowledging, we're processing our pain, the past pain, we're processing our doubts. But then in that place, we're intentionally choosing to image a biblically accurate picture of God, to put in our minds a biblically accurate picture of God as our helper, as our heavenly father, who unlike our earthly parents, loves us perfectly. As David discovered over time, this new, more accurate image of God can become more real to us than the misperceptions of God that we have subconsciously carried. The practice of gazing upon the Lord is so powerful because over time, in that place of gazing, we can begin experiencing healing of heart wounds. God can begin to replace our deeply rooted feeling of being a disappointment to him or not being enough. He can replace that with a deeper experience of his love for us. And this is again where this gaze becomes transformative. It becomes transformative. It's when we increasingly envision God as the loving God revealed in scripture so that it's not just information to us we now actually begin to experience him as loving. The words on a page become a reality in our heart because we're now seeing them, we're imaging them in our minds. This is what happened to the girl in the story I, I, I told earlier, that this professor began to help this young woman envision God in a, in a more biblically accurate way. So, so in that initial image of God, Jesus, remember she saw Jesus turned away from her. That was the initial image. Well, but as she began to, uh, they began to talk through this, she began to see Jesus turning towards her and actually waving at her. And then she began to envision him shouting across the chasm, things like, you are mine. I love you with an everlasting love which are things the Bible says that God says to us. And eventually, in this process, eventually in her image of God, the chasm disappeared. Eventually the chasm was gone and Jesus was just standing there with her, holding her. She began to experience his love in a real way. And suddenly her passion for God came alive. This is the gaze that transforms. And the cool thing is this is something all of us can do. 
all of us can practice this and grow in this. And even, even our, our, we could teach our children this. You know, children probably do this better than, than we do in terms of their imagination, right? But all of us can do this because all of us have this God-given capacity to put pictures or images in our minds. We have that capacity. God gave us this capacity. And we have in Jesus and in Scripture a revelation of what God is like. So imagine the power when these two things come together. The power when these two things come together and we begin to experience these realities in our hearts. Like for me personally, I have long struggled to truly rest in God's love for me. I struggle with comparison and insecurity. And, and, and so I've been on this kind of long journey of uh, just um, exploring this. It's involved lots of prayer. And I've periodically met with counselors and a spiritual director to process this stuff, all of which has been really, really helpful. But I just want to tell you, in the last few months or so, I've also added to this journey, I've added this practice of biblical imaging. And it has had a significant impact upon how I view and experience God. What I've been doing um, recently is placing myself in a particular story that Jesus told, a story that powerfully shows us what God the Father is really like. And so what I've been doing in, in some of my prayer times with the Lord, I envision myself in the story. And I let God communicate the truths of this passage to my heart. It has opened my heart to his love for me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And so in just a moment, I want to lead us in an opportunity to practice this. And I want us to use, we're going to use the same passage that has been so meaningful to me. Now, don't be discouraged if in this exercise or when you're practicing this on your own, if you get stuck somewhere in the passage, and you can't move beyond that. You get stuck there. Don't, don't freak out about that. That's really just an indicator that you need to do some heart work with God in that place. You can spend some time with the Lord and say, Lord, why am I stuck here? Why can't I move beyond this? And just let him speak to you. This is also a great um, opportunity for you to call the church and set up a Hope Abounds prayer time, a prayer session with Hope Abounds, um, where they can deal specifically with that and help you kind of get unstuck in that place. Again, remember, this is a journey. This is a journey. And the Holy Spirit wants to help us experience who God the Father is so that our perception of him is biblically accurate and so that it transforms us in a real way. Okay, so I want to lead us now in this exercise. We're going we're gonna to play in just a moment. We're going to place ourselves in the, in the story of the prodigal son um, from Luke 15, where Jesus shows us, he tells us this story that reveals what God the Father is like. So if you're not familiar with the story, let me just take a moment here, a couple moments and, and summarize it, and then we'll move into the exercise. So in this story, Jesus tells in Luke 15, one of two sons goes to his father and he demands his half of the inheritance, which was a huge insult to his father. It's basically saying, I wish you were dead. Um, and so the father gives him his half of the inheritance and the son goes out, travels to a faraway land and he squanders the entire inheritance. He blows it. He squanders it all on wild living. He runs out of money. He has all of his friends abandon him. He's alone. He finally gets a job just feeding pigs. 
and he's so hungry, he starts, the, the, the food he's feeding the pig starts to look appealing to him. So he hits, he hits rock bottom. And Jesus says in that place, he comes to his senses. And he decides to go back to his father, but he realizes he's not even worthy to be called son. I mean, he's so messed up. He, me he messed up so badly. He's not even worthy to be called son. So he has this, he's working on this apology speech. He's preparing this apology speech where he basically says, look, dad, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Um, and so, so, so he's working on that. I just want to be a hired hand in, in, in your house. And then he, he begins the journey back to his father's house wondering what kind of reception he's going to get from his dad. Okay, so I want us to place ourselves now in this story. So I encourage you, just close your eyes. Just quiet your heart. And let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray for your peace right now as we place ourselves in this story that you told. As we image this in our minds, I pray that you would, you would protect this and you would speak to us now. Okay, so I want you to imagine yourself in this story. You are that son. You've insulted your father. You took your inheritance. You squandered it all on selfish pleasure. And now you're, you have nothing left. You're feeding pigs and you're starting to look at that food like that looks appealing and you realize what you've done and you feel ashamed, you feel saddened, you feel empty, you feel guilty. You know how you've messed up. Just envision yourself in that place. You know you're not worthy to be even called son or daughter. You're filled with shame and guilt. So now imagine that in that place, you decide to go back to your father. And so you're preparing your speech. I'm not worthy to be your son or daughter. You're kind of figuring out what you're going to say. I messed up too badly. Can you just hire me on as a servant? So you're, you got your speech prepared. And imagine now that you start walking back home. And as you're walking, you're rehearsing what you're going to say. And you're wondering how your father will respond to you, if he would even listen to you. You have no idea how he's going to respond. So imagine yourself, you're making the trek back to your father's house. Filled with uncertainty and fear of how he's going to respond. So now I want you to imagine you've been walking a long time. It's a long journey. You've been walking a long time. And finally, in the distance, you see your home. You see your house. And you see your heavenly father standing on the back porch and he sees you. He sees you. And he begins running towards you. You see him pull up his robe 
and he jumps off that porch and he begins running towards you full speed. He's getting closer and closer. You're still not sure how he's going to respond. So when he, when he gets to you, you, you start your prepared speech. Father, I'm sorry. I'm not even worthy to be called your son or daughter. He, but he doesn't even listen. He takes your little speech, the paper it was written on, and he crumples it up and he throws it away. And he wraps his arms around you and he holds you. Just let him hold you. How does it feel to be held in his embrace? Now imagine him taking his best robe and he places it on you. He, he places it on your shoulder. He wraps you in the warmth of it. Like the family robe, you are surrounded in his love. Now imagine him He's facing you. You're, you're surrounded in his, in his robe, his love. Imagine him taking the family ring. He takes this ring, this beautiful ring, and he places it on your finger. And he says to you, welcome home. You belong here. You belong here. You are my son. You are my daughter. Now imagine that he looks down, he sees your worn out sandals, they're falling apart, long journey, your feet are all dirty. He says to his servants, get some new Birkenstocks for my son or my daughter. They bring these brand new sandals and he places them on your feet. He's caring for your every need. And now imagine him laughing with joy and, and saying to you and to all those gathered, let's, gathered around him, let's celebrate. <laughs> let's celebrate. And he looks you in the eyes and he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I'm so glad you're here. And now just imagine that you begin walking back to the house together, side by side with his arm around you and a smile on his face. 
And you were, you were in shock, right, at the reception that you received from him. He's walking with you. You were enveloped in his love. See, Jesus says, friends, Jesus says, this is what God the Father is like. This is what God the Father is like. So, Father, I pray that you will help us grow in experiencing you in this way, in imaging you in this way, placing ourselves in this story so that we can grow so that the truth of who you are becomes more real to us than the lies that we've believed or the wounds in our past that you would bring healing to our hearts and we would more and more experience you in this way. Friends, I want to encourage you to Go back again and again to this story in Luke 15. I've been doing this pretty regularly in my time with the Lord. I begin by just placing myself at the end of that story. And I see God the Father. I see his face. I see him loving me and putting his robe on me. Um, I'm just kind of practicing that because I want that to be more and more real to me. So I encourage you, you can do this. You can practice in this passage uh, this coming week. Now, if you, if, and if you want to explore this, this whole idea of biblical imaging further, I haven't found a ton of resources. I haven't. But there is, uh, there's a book that I'd recommend if you're interested in exploring this further. It's a book called Seeing is Believing by a pastor named Greg Boyd. He's a pastor in Minneapolis. Um, and let me just say, I don't agree with everything he has. He's written a number of books. I don't agree with everything he's written in every one of his books. But this book is really helpful. And what I love about this book, some of you can relate to this. He's an intellectual. He's a theological nerd. I mean, totally. And yet, he has this experience of God that's been transformed by this practice. I mean, some of you are thinking, oh, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm, you know, engineer type. I'm, you know, more brainy or whatever. You think this kind of, no, 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 it is. This is for you. And that's what I love about this book is he roots it in scripture and the history of the church, also his own experience. It's, it's really, really practical. It's called Seeing is Believing. There's a link um, that you can um, click on if you're interested. And then a second resource to mention um, more in our church family is what I mentioned earlier, our Hope Abounds prayer ministry, which is specifically geared towards helping heal your image of God. Just facilitating a prayer time where God begins to help heal your image of him from that, that may be um, impacted by past wounds or things like that. And so you can just call the church office and set up a time. There's also a link for that uh, ministry um, attached to this. So you can click on that link. Let me pray for us. God, we want to grow in our understanding and experience of who you are. And so would you help us in our practice of gazing upon your beauty, that you would heal these places within us and that we would have more and more have a biblically accurate picture of the amazing God you are and how loving you are and that we would be transformed by that gaze. We love you. 
in Jesus' name.